Hello, and welcome to the Whatcom Dads podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things being a dad. We discuss parenting topics, share our recommendations for things our kids like, and bring on a guest who will share some parenting advice. And to all you moms out there, please stick around. Our show's for you, too. I'm Nathan Dwyer. I'm Chris Roselli. And I'm Mark Bagley. This week, we talk about navigating the holidays, share our favorite spots to take our kids for a sweet treat, and interview John Knudsen, Community Outreach Officer with the Bellingham Police Department. Hi, I'm Ben, and I'm 21. Hi, I'm Allie, and I'm 24. And we got this job because... Our dad still pays for our phone bills. Special thanks to Mark's kids serving as the announcers this week. All right, guys, we have made it to episode three. Congrats to us. Never thought we'd see this day. So I listened back to episode two, and my only nitpick is on the author draft. Now, I think we did fine in our drafting, but uh, Mark, you mentioned J.K. Rowling, who I think probably is more middle and high school. So I'm going to suggest that in a future episode, we do a middle and high school draft, and then we can pull out some of these authors that maybe we had on our honorable mentions or bench and uh, slot them in appropriately. Yeah, you know, I, I did realize afterwards, I listened back as well, and I, I missed the whole elementary word when you asked for a recommendations, and so I do apologize. Although, for my daughter, though, we did start probably fifth grade-ish for uh, the Harry Potter series, so yeah, it was kind of, you know, maybe pushing the elementary middle school thing, but I don't, you know, I don't take it back. The books are great. Humble brag, your daughter was advanced. Well, the funny thing, so the funny thing is that when we first read the Harry Potter books, the movies hadn't been out yet. So we, I, me, I was pronouncing Hermione's name Hermoine because I didn't know that it was supposed to be Hermione. And then the movie came out and we went, oh my gosh, we've been saying Hermine or Hermoine for the last three books. And then we finally got it right. So that was a little bit of embarrassment. Well, I loved, uh, Mark, I think it was your pick on Richard Scarry, or was it Nathan? Who, which one of you picked Richard Scarry? I picked it. Mark reminded us he's been around a long, long time. Long yeah. Time. Well, I, so my uh, youngest has my Richard Scarry book from Cars and Trucks and Things That Go, and um, which has my mom's handwriting from my fourth birthday, it says to my Christopher. And uh, after we did the podcast, the next day, I pulled out Richard Scarry because you have to find Goldbug. There's nothing better than finding Goldbug in the Richard Scarry book. So uh, I'm, I really appreciate you bringing that up. Hey, Mark, have you been in a car accident before? Oh, boy, no. Thankfully, I have not. Well, would you know what to do if you or someone in your family was? No idea. Any advice? Well, first, I would get everyone out of the road to a safe spot and make sure anyone injured gets medical attention. That's first. And then once that is done, I would make sure to report the accident to police, get the other driver's insurance information, and then let my insurance company know what happened. Well, that seems easy enough. The part that seems complicated is dealing with the medical bills and insurance companies. What if someone gets hurt? Well, I'm so glad you asked. That's where our sponsor Robinson and Cole Attorneys can help. Robinson and Cole handles all types of personal injury cases, including auto accidents. They also handle on-the-job injuries, and they offer free consultations and case evaluations and have been serving Whatcom County since 1979. 
If there's one of our listeners out there who has been in a car accident or suffered a work injury, how can they reach Robinson and Cole? They can call for a free consultation at 360-671-8112 and find more information on their website at robinsonandcole.com. That's Cole spelled K-O-L-E. Well, it's already early November and the holidays are fast approaching. And whether you celebrate Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or something else, the holidays can certainly be stressful for parents. So tonight, we're going to talk about ways to decrease that stress and share some tips and advice on how we've navigated the holidays. So guys, talk about how you've been able to navigate trying to see maybe both sets of grandparents and things like that around the holidays. So my situation, actually, it's pretty, um, pretty sweet in terms of breaking up the holidays. My family is in a different state, and so we never are faced with having to see both sets on a holiday, which is really nice. My wife's family, their big holiday is Thanksgiving, and my family's big holiday is Christmas. And so that worked out pretty darn well. But where it got a little bit tricky is after, oh, maybe two or three or four Christmases of us traveling over the holidays, my wife finally said, you know what, I want my kids to walk down the stairs at our house on Christmas morning and enjoy that experience here. We want to do it on the 25th of December. We don't want to be somewhere else. And so after that point is where it got a little bit tricky because then we had to figure out where we were going to be either before Christmas or after Christmas. And that's where we had to convince my family that we, it was okay that we weren't with them on the 25th unless they came up to see us. So that was a, a, a big step for us. And I'm really proud of my wife for really putting her foot down and wanting to have a, a consistent experience for our two kids. You know, it's interesting you say that, Mark. Uh, we uh, are kind of the opposite of all of that, actually. When Amy and I first got married, we agreed that we would travel to Vancouver, Washington, where we're both from. Our parents are both about 10 minutes from one another. So when we go to visit, we always need to make sure that we visit, um, and we are glad to, of course, visit both sides of the family. And when we first got married, we made an agreement that as long as Amy's grandfather is around, um, we will always spend the holidays down in the Vancouver area. And he's now 99 years old. <laughs> We've been married 18 years. 99 years young. 99 years young. He certainly is. And uh, we are glad to always go down there and spend the holidays with family. And of course, so we can see him as well. Um, and it created challenges though, because you only have so much time to spend uh, on Thanksgiving and at Christmas time. And for the first few years when we were married, and then again for the first few years when the girls were babies, it was really stressful. It was really awful trying to figure out how everybody could get equal time. Um, and now that we've been doing it for so long, um, we've been able to figure out really a, a schedule and a routine that works best for everybody. But at the beginning, Amy could physically see me tense up and see my shoulders tense up the closer we would get to Vancouver. Um, but we figured it out now. So before we had kids, we tried to just do the alternating family situation. Uh, my parents and my wife's parents live 
three and a half hours from each other. So it's not uh, possible to see them both in the same day. So we would simply set up a schedule. We'd say, you get Thanksgiving, and then the other uh, set of parents would get Christmas. And then the next year, they flip-flop. And that worked pretty good. Um, But once we had kids, obviously, things get more difficult. And uh, Christmas is a special day for young kids. And we eventually arrived at the same conclusion that Annette did, Mark, and that we wanted Christmas morning to be uh, something that happened at our house. And so to the credit of both sets of grandparents, they've gotten to understand that we can do Christmas not on Christmas Day. And so uh, we set aside a day or a weekend with, with both sets of grandparents, and that's when we do our Christmas things with them. So we'll open the gifts, we'll do the family traditions, and uh, appreciate their willingness to do that and be flexible. And I, I, th- I and I think Nathan that and and Chris also that sometimes our parents and or siblings, especially if they don't have young kids, it's hard for people with young kids to travel. I mean, we were getting on a plane and or driving twenty hours to where my parents lived, and that's hard to do. I mean, it's just Nathan with three little ones, packing it all up, especially on a day like that. I think that there needs to be a lot more understanding and grace presented by relatives, parents, in-laws, siblings, et cetera, when there are little kids involved. And you're right, Nathan, it doesn't have to be on Christmas Day. It doesn't have to be on Thanksgiving Day. Those are just dates. It's What's important is seeing each other sometime and, and celebrating. I really give a lot of credit to Amy's parents who on Thanksgiving, um, for Thanksgiving time, uh, it was Amy's parents who said, you know what? Thanksgiving can be any day. It does not have to be on Thursday because we were eating two meals uh, doing Thanksgiving at 11 a.m. and then again at 4 p.m. sprinting between houses. And finally, Amy's parents just said, you know, why don't we do Thanksgiving on Friday? This is a lot easier to just do that. And uh, and that's what we do. I wish more people were like that because it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very grateful for that. Still am. I think that we when we kind of hit the the wall with the whole going on Christmas and traveling, traveling, traveling was one year we had to ship, I think three boxes back from my parents' house full of Christmas presents because we just couldn't fit them in the car to take them home. And what a hassle to pack everything up, take it to the shipping place, pick it up here. It was, it was ridiculous. And then we decided, you know what? No more. This is not a good use of time. Well, I will tell you one really great tradition Amy's family does is Amy's dad uh, collects toilet paper, uh, those little cardboard toilet paper rolls that are inside the toilet paper when they empty out. And he wraps them and inside he puts a little clue and it ends up being the scavenger hunt throughout the house. And it takes a good half hour for each kid. And of course, it's age appropriate. So as the girls get older, finding the next clue gets harder and harder for them to eventually find the gift, which could be in the trunk of a car or in the attic or um, somewhere hidden under a bed or a couch. So that's a fun tradition that we don't do, but someday we'll probably adopt far in the future. Speaking of gifts, that reminds me of something my wife does that's really great. And that's that she sits the kids down and has a conversation with them about gifts before we're in a setting where gifts are going to be open. So she does it at their birthdays and at the holidays. And what she's trying to avoid is the uh, possibility that the kid expresses some level of disinterest or dislike for the gift 
that may offend the gift giver. And so she talks about being polite and that it's the thought that counts. And also sometimes we get a duplicate of a gift. And uh, this did happen at a birthday recently. And my daughter just said, well, that's okay. I have one for the car and one for the house now. So um, I think warning the kids ahead of time about how to politely open gifts is a a simple step you can do and it might uh, avoid some awkward situations. In terms of gift giving, speaking of gift giving, Nathan, um, one thing that we try to do is make sure that one of the gifts or a couple of the gifts is really about an experience um, instead of a thing. And so um, usually it includes tickets to a show or, you know, a trip some one year we could go to Disneyland, something like that. I don't know if that's something that you both do. Another thing we've done because uh, there's a lot of cousins at this point and uh, we've basically at Thanksgiving time, put all the names in a hat and then each cousin draws one cousin to buy for. So that way uh, each of our kids doesn't have, you know, multiple gifts for cousins to buy for, but it's on a rotating sort of random draw basis. And that hasn't seemed to impact anyone at this point. And actually you get to spend a little more on that particular gift. That's a great idea. And we made a decision um, not to, for my sibling, not to buy for the older uh, folks. So I don't buy for my sister or my brother-in-law. We just buy for their kids. And that made it a lot easier too. So we're not doing all those different levels of, of giving. That's what we agreed to also, Mark. Uh, the only difference is, is instead what we decided to do is, is as siblings to make an agreement that since we wouldn't buy birthday and Christmas gifts for each other anymore, that every two years we would do a special golf trip together. So that's what we've, uh, we've stuck to, which has been quite fun. Any advice on dealing with that maybe extended family relative that can be a little difficult? Um, you know, I don't have an Uncle Harry, but I can envision a lot of <laughs> a lot of listeners out there who have an Uncle Harry who maybe over Thanksgiving uh, brings up some topics or acts in a way, or or maybe is the type that gives the kids sort of unwanted hugs and kisses. Any tips on dealing with sort of the the relative who's just a little bit difficult to handle? Well, I actually did have an Uncle Harry, and uh, Uncle Harry was a character, and Uncle Harry would drink a lot at the holidays, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a whole different story for a different time. Um, we've talked to the kids about patience and um, just kind of going with the flow, and you know, some relatives are easier to deal with than others, and it's it's really prepping them going in. And, you know, luckily we've had, we've avoided embarrassing situations. I would agree. I think Mark, you nailed it in prepping the kids, not just about um, perhaps about your goofy uncle or aunt or whatever, but also just the, the stress that accompanies all of the mayhem with all the people and the energy and so much going on and the lack of sleep that happens over that t- amount of time. And um, we also have conversations really about how they should behave because we're always in other people's homes too. And uh, knowing that um, they need to be on their best behavior while we are in other people's places too. Yeah, our kids are always looking to us to model that behavior. So if we don't have a lot of patience for the Uncle Harry's of the world, they're going to see that and model that. Yeah, well, and I think I might be the Uncle Harry, actually, because uh, this last Christmas, um, uh, one of the boxes of cereal was Cocoa Puffs. And I was just chuckling. I opened the box. I grabbed a small handful of my brother's dog's dog food, which looks like Cocoa Puffs. And I threw just like, I don't know, 10 
10 little kibbles in there and then shook the box up and then just put the, put the box right back on the counter. And we all went to bed. That happened on Christmas Eve. Totally forgot about it. And the next morning, my nephew was eating Cocoa Puffs and he spits it out and he says, dad, this cereal tastes like dog food. And we all realized, we had all forgotten that that had happened. And of course, I'm this terrible uncle who's feeding dog food to my poor nephew. So for his birthday this year, I bought him three boxes of Cocoa Puffs with a note that says, this is guaranteed not to have dog food in it. So at least he got that later on. Well, Chris, I wouldn't feel too bad because obviously he's tasted dog food before (laughs) if he knew what it tasted like in the Cocoa Puffs. So it wasn't the first time he's ever had a kibble. So that it wasn't the fault. <laughs> that is very, very true. And he's not going to forget. You've got it coming someday. <laughs> All right. Last piece of advice I would uh, like to extend to our listeners is that when you're staying with extended family on these trips, I've noticed that if you involve them in the parenting process, that certainly gives them um, some sense of ownership. And frankly, it gives you as a dad a break. So I love to say, hey, grandma, do you want to give the kids a bath? Or hey, do you want to read their bedtime stories and brush their teeth? And they love to do that stuff. They don't get to see the kids enough, but just involving them in the uh, rigmarole of of, uh, caring for the kids throughout the day um, certainly is something special for them. On Whatcom Dads Recommend this week, we're going to discuss local places where we like to take our kids for a sweet treat. So, Chris, you want to go first? Sure. I mean, there's three choices. I'm, I'm only going to pick one, I know, but three choices for us would be Pure Bliss for dessert, Lafines for breakfast and dessert, and Edeline ice cream we love too. But if we have to pick one, our family picks Pure Bliss desserts all the time. That place is very good. So this, uh, this might be a disappointment to those that like to shop local, but our go-to place was always Dairy Queen for a blizzard. Oh, that was going to be one of mine. <laughs> our, our kids still talk about the days we would go to the drive-thru and get a blizzard as special, special memories. That's cool. I'll pivot to uh, Mallard's Ice Cream. But I'll also put in a plug for something that Chris turned me on to um, in the midst of the pandemic, and that's Insomnia Cookies, who can deliver hot, hot, warm <laughs> cookies to your house. 2020, it's amazing at the click of a few buttons on your cell phone. Dad, can we order Indian food sometime soon? Sure. Where should we order from? Non and Brew. What dishes do you like from Non and Brew? I like the non bread and butter chicken. And why do you like them? Because it's yummy. Nanambrew is an Indian family restaurant that's been located in downtown Bellingham since 2015. They are located at the corner of Railroad and Maple and have a full takeout and delivery menu available. To place an order, call 360-389-5493 or visit their website at nanambrew.com. That's N-A-A-N-A-N-D-B-R-E-W dot com. All right, we are here with Officer John Knudsen, who is the Community Outreach Officer for the Bellingham Police Department. Uh, And more importantly for our podcast today, he is also a Whatcom dad himself. John, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks a lot for having me. So so tell us a little bit about yourself and what your job entails kind of on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Born and raised in Bellingham. I went to BHS and uh, 
in high school, I thought I might want to get into law enforcement or end, end up teaching um, high school art. I actually went to art school, lived a whole different life in the snowboard industry, doing graphic design and traveling to Europe and everything. And then uh, in 1999, I did a ride along with uh, another BHS alum. And I remember it was a cold February night, nothing exciting happened, but um, that I was sold. I, I really wanted to go into police work. So I switched gears and in 99, I got hired. Been with Bellingham for 20 years now. Um, most of my time I've been on patrol. I've been on the bike unit. Um, I've been on our drug unit, SWAT team. I'm still on the SWAT team. And then I'm currently the outreach officer. And then I also have the opportunity to teach defensive tactics as one of the, uh, the instructors. So do a little bit of everything. And right now as an outreach officer, most of the position a few years ago was called the neighborhood police officer. Primarily my job is to be the, the liaison between the department and various community groups, neighborhood groups, businesses. Um, I attend a lot of meetings, try to work on issues that uh, patrol officers identify, but don't necessarily have the time to be able to dig into. And then in addition to that, we provide a lot of training in active shooter de-escalation, workplace safety. So it's a it's a good change from patrol where you're just going call to call to call and you don't really have a lot of time to interface with people in the, in the outreach position. Um, I get to actually build some relationships and, and work with people to um, kind of equip them with some training and answers and solutions maybe before a problem has occurred. So it's a nice change. Uh, can you tell us about your kids, just uh, how old they are and boys or girls? I have a son who is 10 years old and he's a fifth grader right now um, into basketball, um, coach him on volleyball. He played with Chris's um, daughter and uh, does ninja right now. Ninja, goes to the ninja gym. And then my daughter is 12 and she plays volleyball and does track as well. So they're uh, not overly active right now with COVID, but um, ho hopefully we'll start easing back into some sports and um, they're usually pretty active kids. So it's a fun chapter of life. Yeah, I feel ripped off. We never had ninja gyms as kids. I know. I'm living vicariously through my son right now. Um, it's everything I would have uh, wanted to do when I was a kid. It's, it's pretty awesome. So, John, a lot of our listeners, um, one of the things they enjoy doing is riding bikes with their kids. And we know that bike theft can be an issue and is an issue in Bellingham and Whatcom County. Any tips on how to keep the bike safe when you're not riding them? Yeah, in this is this has been an issue in Bellingham as long as I've been a police officer, but as bikes have gotten more expensive and as people have gotten more into biking, uh, it's kind of a double whammy. And so especially during COVID, there was a big increase in bike theft and auto theft for that matter. Uh, but in May, I did a deep dive into a year's worth of reports and tried to kind of uncover um, what was behind a lot of these bikes. That, so I can sum all this up by saying that most 37% uh, of the bikes out of 360 some odd bikes that were stolen, 37% um, were unlocked. So right off the bat, you can do yourself a favor by locking your bike up. Um, probably over, I believe it's over 60% were stolen and the owner was not able to provide us with a serial number. So that makes it very, very difficult for us to track down your bike. Um, we did recover 23% of the bikes got uh, returned to their owners at some point. And sometimes that's community effort, people identifying the bike. Sometimes that's police officers picking them up. Um, but we have to have your serial number. That's what allows us to enter um, your bike into the system, um, the FBI system national database and uh, lock your bike up. Don't use a cable lock. Um, I think in all but two um, that were locked and the locks were defeated, they were cable locks. 
So those, those only keep honest people or people without equipment from taking your bike. Anyone who's serious, they'll snip it in a heartbeat. So the U-locks are effective. And if you don't want to bike around with your family, I get it. You know, if, if you, your wife and your two kids are cruising around, you don't want a bunch of U-locks hanging off everything. I totally understand. Just don't take it for granted and leave your bike unattended. Um, so snap a picture of your bike, flip it over, snap a picture on the bottom uh, where the crank is, um, get the serial number, and then just archive those away. Hopefully you don't need them, but if you do, it's really, really helpful. Um, and those two things right there, um, according to our statistics, will dramatically um, decrease your chances of theft. So we should really think about our bikes like we do our cars. We wouldn't leave the keys in the car. We wouldn't unlock our car. We, we wouldn't leave our car unlocked. So really, treat your bikes like you do your car. Yes. And I, I think a lot of people get lulled into a little bit of complacency. They know that if they're going to go park outside Trader Joe's, probably lock up your bike. Um, but a lot of the bikes that were officially unlocked, they were stolen from porches, um, yards, garages. Those are the big three where people just felt comfortable and, and didn't think someone would be brazen enough to just walk up to your front porch and, and ride off with your bike. But it happens, sadly, all too, you know, way too often. So what should we be teaching to our kids about dealing with strangers? You know, stranger danger is something we've, shoot, I heard about it when I was a kid. Is that concept still alive and well, or is it no longer recommended? I've never heard it not recommended. Um, I, I think it's changed a bit. Um, I do remember early on in my career um, responding to a 911 call where a guy was literally driving around in a van asking kids, um, if they would help him find his puppy. And I, I couldn't, I could not believe that that stuff happened. Um, but it, but it does. Um, but I would say it's changed. So there's two things talking about stranger danger. There's two things that I would, I would pass along. And one is that, and I'm, I'm stealing this from somebody else who I heard it from, but, um, bad guys or potentially dangerous guys, um, teach your kids that they can be tricky. I think that kids growing up grow up think that some stranger in like a trench coat and a van is going to pull up and that's the guy they're looking out for. And the reality is it's the guy who um, lets you play with his remote control park car at the park, you know, and then slowly befriends you and, you know, just does stuff that to adults, it seems out of place into a kid that can't identify it. So when we look at cases that come through and I don't work in family crimes, but you know, we do hear about, you know, a lot of cases, but it, it's usually the person that becomes an acquaintance and befriends a kid. That's who I would warn my kids that bad guys can be tricky. And there are people who, um, you know, will prey on people who make themselves an easy target. And our kids, unfortunately, are just an easy target until they know better. So with young kids, that concept of uh, dangerous people can be tricky, I think is really important. And then um, th with the, you know, just the explosion of online access that kids have and social media, that's the other one too, is I don't think the average parent understands that when their sixth grader gets an Instagram account, that that opens up doors for people sitting in their living room to reach out and try to have access to your kid. And that it is not uncommon at all for girls to immediately get solicited by older, you know, men, young men, doesn't matter. Um, looking for pictures, looking to start a relationship, you know, online. Um, I think a lot of parents, it would really blow their mind um, what social media um, allows in terms of stranger danger type, um, you know, activity. So just be really aware of that and just know that there's this whole other world out there that your kid might have access to. 
Speaking of social media, like, when, do you recommend a certain age that a kid could get social media or even better than that, even a cell phone for that matter? 30, maybe? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Never? Yeah, right. <laughs> because I just think middle school kids, you know, middle school is hard enough. The last thing some kid needs to, you know, needs a social media to wreck their self-esteem after their actual school day was already hard enough. Um, I just think kids don't need that kind of pressure. I don't think high school kids do either. Um, but I just know from my friends with kids that are slightly older, that that is an absolute, like you, you, they feel like they are missing out on all the communication if they don't have it. So I won't claim to know, but yeah, in my mind, I'd be like, oh, my kid's just not gonna have social media until they leave my house. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen, but, uh, but there are, it does open up kind of, you know, just a, a host of other things that you have to be, you know, aware of. And then, you know, I was just thinking of people with kids that are a little bit older, the last element of just kind of stranger danger. Um, one unfortunate, well, there's a lot of unfortunate parts about my job, but one of them is that you see people at their worst or after bad things have happened to them. And I have taken way too many reports, um, especially from college females who it wasn't the stranger. Again, it was somebody who they trusted, they met, they trusted, they put too much trust in, and then a bad situation happened. And so I would just say that whether you have a, a three-year-old or a you know 18 or 20-year-old, stranger danger and just being aware and having conversations about how do you keep yourself safe and who do you trust. Um, for young men, it's typically, you know, hanging out with a group that's just into bad things, you know, and so it's not a stranger, but it's people they trusted and again, got into bad situations. And um, so, yeah, that, that talk, I think, is a valid talk to still have, Chris, to, to circle all the way back to your question. It's, it's a very valid talk, but it, I think it takes on different dimensions throughout the, the ages. I appreciate that uh, terminology, tricky people. It's something we've used at home. And uh I'll point out for the listeners, a book that we found very helpful is called Super Duper Safety School um, by Patty Fitzgerald. And that uses that tricky person. And we try and talk with the kids about when you have sort of a nervous butterfly feeling in your stomach, that might make you feel like that you're, um, you're dealing with a tricky person. So John, my kids are the youngest and we're at an age where we're trying to teach them to memorize their address or their parents' phone number. So are there certain things that kids should be able to recite back when they're a certain age that would be helpful to the police if they happen to come in contact with a young child in sort of an emergency situation? Address and then cell phones. You know, when I was growing up, I just had one phone number to remember and it was super simple. Um, so yeah, if, if they remember at least one parent's cell phone, that would be great. But I, I believe most, um, most kindergartens, that's kind of the goal that they say you should work for. I say the earlier, the better. Um, but I, I think by four or five, you know, if you can kind of make a game out of it and, and just make it something that you work on address, phone number, and name, we have picked up some kids. There was one kid that was, a, I don't know if he was sleepwalking or if he was just an escape artist, but late, late, late in the night, he's walking around over by Hagen and um, then the cops picked him up and he, he didn't know, he didn't know anything. He's just, you know, a little four-year-old and he couldn't even say where he lives. So they just drove around and eventually the parents woke up and realized he was gone. But yeah, it can, um, I mean, it can make things very complicated if they can't tell you that basic information. The other, the other tip that, um, that I picked up too, um, is if you're a parent and you just know, like, 
I have a young kid and they might not be able to rattle off that information when they're stressed and scared. Whenever we went to say the Linden Fair, some big kind of busy place, I would snap a photo of my kids. Um, I'd have them stand together. We have Linden Fair for the last 12 years, but we have this collection of pictures of them standing right by the barn doors when we walk in there, because in my mind, I'm like, there's a high percentage we're going to get separated. So being able to have a picture of what your kids are wearing that day, I think is really, really helpful. We've also bought uh, temporary tattoos. I think they're pretty cheap on Amazon and they print them with your parents' cell phones, numbers on them. So uh, Disneyland, Linden Fair, Seattle Aquarium, uh, they come in packs of 20. And we found that really useful because the the phone numbers are on their arm and uh, doesn't have parents' names. um, So they so a stranger couldn't come up and say, your dad, Nathan, told me to talk to you. It just has the phone numbers. And in fact, when we were in Disneyland several years ago, I was about 25 feet from my daughter who was looking at something. And at some point I could tell she didn't know where I was. And I just watched and she looked around and she looked around and then she pulled up her shirt sleeve and looked at that temporary tattoo. So at least she knew that if she was going to find somebody, that was what she was going to show them first. Um, John, you, you spend your days working with tricky guys or bad guys or bad people. Um, you see a whole side of life that we don't see and probably many of our listeners don't see. Being a police officer, how has that um, helped you be a better dad and a, a better parent for your kids? I would say it's, there's some philosophies that I've picked up um, from being a police officer. And a lot of it comes from the simple, how do I, how do I raise my kids to not be the type of people I'm arresting? (laughs) So it's very basic. There's some other truths too, though, but I got hired when I was 25. So, you know, there's a lot I did not know. And it's odd when you're 25 and you're arresting 45 year old men. Um, And there's this common denominator I started seeing though, when I start, you start typing in somebody's name for an arrest report and you realize, Oh, they're in the computer system and they have, you know, 76 arrests, which is not an exaggeration with some people, but there was, it it did not take me long in my career to realize that the common denominator of people who got arrested over and over again, everything that happened was always somebody else's fault. After you hear excuse after excuse after excuse, it really makes you a believer that uh, it is absolutely imperative to, to raise your kids to own their mistakes. And um, if, and I tend to look at failure and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't enjoy this at the moment, but I definitely know that we learn things in failure that we, we just can't learn through success. As I had kids in my career, that was just the one really big thing is that, man, I want to raise kids who are going to own their mistakes. And so I try to, you know, just when life gives you these little, you know, teachable moments, um, you know, if my son makes a mistake or something, I try to really emphasize that's okay. Like we learn from mistakes, but what, how can we, you know, do better? What can we learn from this one? So we don't repeat this mistake um, and trying to own that. I think I grew up really um, being afraid to make mistakes or afraid of screwing up, you know, and I, I just want to raise kids that know that that's just part of life, you know, and that you become a better person by, by owning it. And in my job, I've seen, I've seen a lot of um, tragic death. Um, I've, I'm very comfortable with the reality that tomorrow is promised to no one. And so make your time count. And um, whether that's just enjoying the day, um, again, finding those teachable moments or hugging and, and telling your kids that you love them, you know, make, make that count, never take it for granted. Um, and then the last thing, um, 
for this one that I'll, I'll say for now is what kind of kids do you want to raise and what are you doing today to help them become those kind of people? Um, and as a defensive tactics instructor in all of our training cadre, whether we're learning de-escalation or, or handgun training, we think about what do we want to equip our officers? How do we want our handle our officers to be able to respond on the street? And then what type of training are we giving them um, to, to, to help them become successful in those scenarios? So there's a quote that whether I'm teaching active shooter training to a group of you know, citizens or um, teaching officers at BPD, um, there's a quote from a Greek poet, um, Archilochus, and it says, we don't rise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our training. And I think cops are notorious for thinking we're just going to like, you know, man up and get her done. But the studies show that that is not what happens. There's video that shows that is not what happens. You fall to the level of your training. And I think in the same way, I've seen some parents, um, friends uh, who think, you know, my, my kids are going to be fine. You know, like they'll grow up, they'll be young adults, they'll make good decisions. But I tend to think, what kind of kids do you want to raise? I want to raise kids that are protectors. I want to raise kids that are going to be, you know, able to stand up for their friends, um, to make good decisions. Um, I want a son who's going to be able to shake somebody's hand and look him in the eye and introduce himself in a job interview, you know, and am I doing the little things every day that is ensuring or, or at least helping my kid have a chance to grow up to be those types of people? Or am I just kind of leaving it to chance and hoping that they'll rise to the occasion? And so I, I think on a, and, and those are, you know, cumulative, you know, that's every, every day, every week, there's just all sorts of little things that when that's your goal, you find little opportunities where you can kind of help your kids reach, um, reach those goals. I'm going to take it a little more serious. If as a parent, we notice uh, one of our child child's friends and we suspect maybe abuse or neglect, uh, what do we do? Do we call the police or is that some other agency? You could go through CPS or the police. Um, a lot of times it would start off with, with us making um, contact and we get a lot of welfare checks. Um, so there's a lot of people, whether it's an elderly person who's, you know, in a, you know, kind of a compromised situation or a kid, we get a lot of people who call us in and do a welfare check. And that's where they can kind of, um, you know, bounce some of their concerns off of us and let us dig in a little bit more. But um, I would say, you trust your gut. You know, a lot of people have hunches, uh, but they just don't feel like it really measures up to where they should make a call. But trust that gut because a lot of times those kids that are in an abusive situation or a compromised situation, they have no advocates um, and they, they need a teacher or a neighbor or an attentive parent um, to be able to be their advocate and just start that ball rolling. Um, and that it's pretty critical. So just trust your gut, call the police if in doubt. Uh, we've got, uh, to finish off this interview with you, by the way, thank you again for your time, John, really do appreciate it. Um, uh, we've got a lightning round for you. Um, just a couple short, short answers to some short questions. So first question to you, uh, day shift, swing shift or graveyard? I'm 46 day shift. <laughs> yeah. You start off with coffee and, uh, it gets busy and your day's over before you, I, I don't, I don't stay up past what time is it now? 11 o'clock, man, I'm in bed. But night shifts where the action's at for sure. Quick, uh, short question. Is there a simple thing we could be doing to help make our community safer for kids? Being very engaged and involved parents. I would say that the young kids we arrest uh, 
don't have support at home and the adults we have come from homes where they didn't have support. So love your kids, raise them so that we don't have to. Uh, SWAT or patrol? So we're a, we're a part-time team. Um, I, so everything we learn on SWAT, we still have a primary job. Um, so SWAT's kind of icing on the cake. Whatever you learn in SWAT, you get to apply in patrol. Um, but SWAT, you get a lot of great training. I'd recommend it to anybody who's who's got the desire. But patrols, patrols a lot of fun. Sirens, lights, or lights and sirens. <laughs> According, according to the policy that I just read, um, lights and sirens, if you're running um, code, uh, the sirens are loud. So it's hard to listen to your radio and get all the information you need. So a lot of times you will just see lights, but those sirens are pretty important. Well, thank you for helping out our community, John. This has really been great. And thank you for your time. Uh, some Certainly some information that our listeners are certainly going to uh, find very useful. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much, John. Really do appreciate your service. Thank you to our sponsors. There are links to their websites in the show notes. Thanks also to our guest, Officer John Knudsen. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. To reach the show, email us at welcomedadspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your suggestions for discussion topics and future guests. Join the dads next week when they discuss youth sports, the best places to host your child's birthday party in Whatcom County, and interview Adam Van Ness, instructor of personal finance at Whatcom Community College, about money management. The podcast where we talk about, I said podcast. Did you say podcast? I did. <laughs> podcast? That's a different show. Uh, is it recording already? Yeah. Recording already. Are we going to? Okay. You don't have to comb your hair. You look good. Yeah, this is not a, this is not a YouTube channel. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, Allie, what are we? What are we? What are we oh, actually? We, doing? I texted it to you. That's what we're actually doing. Yeah. Okay. Time. Okay. So after you say, it, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go. Yeah. Okay. Me too. Okay. <laughs>